Because there's just nothing better than this. The TrojanSports.com podcast kicks off. Right now? Right now. No, no, I don't know. You said. Cock-a-doodle-doo, Bob. Oh, yeah. Direct from Rivals and Yahoo Sports. This, this is the TrojanSports.com podcast. For a USC with Trojan Sports Publisher, Chris P. Swanson. Moving on. You, love you better cut that out, man. I swear. That better, I better not hear that on the podcast. You mean about the him doing that? Yeah, we broke down. The, the Beat reporter, Adam J. Maya. Here we go. Yeah. Message boards. We start March. Yeah. It's the weekly radio show you need for everything USC. Is that your first joke? Follow Trojansports.com on Twitter at USC underscore rivals. The Trojansports.com podcast kicks off now. now, I should announce our latest promotion at Trojansports.com. It's a spring clearance. Sign up now for a month. That's only $9.99 for one month. Get three months free. That's four months for $9.99. That's like a little bit over $2 a month. I think my math isn't that good. But sign up now. It's a great deal. Again, four months total for $9.99. Buy one month, get three months free. USC.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. That's USC.rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Remember, sign up for one month. It's only $9.99 and get three months free. That's four months for $9.99. That's a great deal. Isn't that a great deal, Adam? I think it is. You don't even have to answer. It's another edition of the Trojansports.com podcast. I'm your publisher of Trojansports.com, Chris Swanson. I'm here with our beat writer and our editor, Adam J. Maya. Adam, how are you today? I'm really good. I mean, we're talking, we're recording. Can I be better? Probably can't. I agree. How are you? I never asked how you're doing. Because do you care? No. Does Does anyone care? Mm, yeah, yeah. My life is in shambles, I would say. I think there are a couple people that care. I don't know who they are, but they're probably out there. No one. I think my mom listens, but I'm not sure she cares. I remember you saying that she did. Does she still listen? Do you know that? She does. She loves you. I don't know what she thinks about me. Wait, what? You've never told me this. Oh, yeah, my mom really likes you, but she's never met you. Huh. And doesn't know you, so. Okay. Yeah. Hi, Mrs. Swanson. Oh, how nice. I'm going to tell her about this show. What an interesting introduction to our podcast. Where were we going with that? We don't know. It ended with a shout-out to my mom. Adam Maya, are we going to start this show with basketball? I was trying to remember if we had even spoken about basketball for the entire season. I don't think we have. No. So we can do it now and get it over with. Do you want to recap the whole season <laughs> for those <laughs> listeners that weren't paying attention? What happened to USC basketball this season? Start with the opener. <laughs> I think everything that matters happened in the last week and a half. This might be true. Yeah. So USC is in the NIT, and they pulled off a gritty win in the first round as a number one seed at home versus UNC Asheville. Hey, don't count out UNC Asheville. (laughs) So that's uh, a little bit of an inside joke that I'm going to turn outside. Swanson kept calling Asheville Asheville, and I might as well call it Asheville. Uh, USC, I I mean, look it, 
I thought they should have been in the tournament. I think they were a snub. I don't think it's a crime, right? But they they should be in the tournament. They they belong in that in that initial that initial big bubble right there. I felt I felt like they had done enough. I know why people don't put them in. I mean, on top of the FBI investigation, they didn't beat anybody. They don't play anybody. It wasn't even like they had a lot of opportunities to impress. Basically, they they played Arizona only one time during the regular season, and then again in the Pac-12 tournament championship. They lost both times. They lost both times to UCLA. They lost to ASU, who made it. So that's 0-5 versus the three teams that from the Pac-12 that made it. And then they only had four other games versus teams that were chosen for the tournament. And they went 2-2. Two and two. So altogether they were 2-7 and seven versus tur- tournament teams. The two wins, Cal State Fullerton, a team that wouldn't have made the tournament if not for winning the Big West. And then New Mexico State, a 12 seed. That, those were their best wins for the season. They beat Cal State Fullerton by like 40 points, though. <laughs> yeah. So that's what people are going to judge them on. And we've been saying it for a couple of years now. They need to have a more serious non-conference schedule. They schedule like a mid-major, and they, they get treated like one. Yeah, well, I, I think that if you do that, I, th- I get... I kind of get the idea. Uh, I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of fan interest in basketball early on in the season. I think that they're preparing for the conference. I think that they're also relying on the conference to help get them in. And this year, the Pac-12 didn't help them at all. Uh, you know, there were no teams there that USC really could have been outside of Arizona that really would have been that impressive. And, uh, I think if they had beaten yeah. uh, either UCLA one time or won that ASU game, which they had a big lead in and then they collapsed, or even not giving up that uh, buzzer beater in Stanford, that half-court shot, if they had won that game, any of those games had they won, I think they're in. I think that they were oh, yeah. a win away. I mean, they couldn't have been much closer without getting in, but... I I agree, but they relied on the Pac-12. They finished they second in the Pac-12, right. and it wasn't enough. Yeah. So I well, I totally agree with you. At the end of the day, the logic still stands. You know, it's not unprecedented. Okay. I don't think people realize that. Back in 2012, Washington won the Pac-12 in the regular season, and they were 14 and four in the Pac-12 that year. And I think they had 24 wins for the season. They didn't get in. They were not chosen to the tournament that year. And similarly, I looked, and they only faced um, a couple teams that made the tournament, and they performed poorly against them. They didn't have any big wins. So the Pac-12, while it's counted among the Power Six, right now is considered six in basketball. And it's not like that every year. They they do still put out a lot of NBA players. But they're never really considered a a top two conference in college basketball. Uh, Similar to football, where in the Power Five, 
they're often regarded as fourth or fifth. And I think that just means you have to take advantage of the few opportunities you have or you got to schedule more aggressively. At least in basketball. In football, I think USC would be better off going the opposite way. And, and if they were playing the game of let's get in the Final Four, then I wouldn't even play Notre Dame. I would just play three group of five teams that you know that you'll beat and try to go undefeated in the Pac-12. And, and maybe with one loss, you'll get in the Final Four. But if you're undefeated, you get in. But their programs are, like, opposite. Like, USC basketball is the UCLA football yeah. of basketball, and USC football is USC football. So I kind of think that they have to build themselves up because you think of USC football, regardless if the Pac-12 is, you know, a dumpster fire and it's just awful, or if it's really strong, if USC wins the Pac-12 in football, right, people respect that team. Yeah, I mean, if they're 12-1. and one. This year they were 11-2. Yeah. and two. Had they well, been 12-1, and one, then they're – Probably in the Final Four. Yeah, but they even got the benefit of the doubt as an 11-2 and two team because people were actually trying to make an argument or talking about that there was possibly an argument for them to be in the playoff, and there really wasn't any argument for that. And if they weren't USC football, nobody would have made an argument. Yeah. They have that benefit where yeah. you can go that direction, like you said, and schedule easy and benefit from that. USC basketball is the opposite problem is nobody respects USC basketball. Right. There's no reason to respect USC basketball. I know that there's been some success uh, recently and maybe, you know, 10 years ago or whatever else. But, you know, back in 2005, USC didn't even have an on-campus basketball arena. Yeah. You know, I mean, Whittier College, my alma mater, has an on-campus basketball arena. Mm -hmm. So it's just not a program that nationally or outside of, you know, Los Angeles, whatever else, people are going to respect. And USC has to do what you said, is they should schedule everybody that will play them and try to win. And even if they lose, if USC's record was worse this year, if they had lost three more games, but they had played, you know, three top 25 teams out of conference, lost each one, and played them tough, I think the committee would have looked at them more favorably. I think the committee would have said, hey, they showed that they can play with teams in the tournament or you know, yeah. teams outside the Pac-12 in the tournament because that's a big deal too is showing that you could do something outside the Pac-12 because if they don't trust the Pac-12, they're not going to trust you. And they didn't have reason to trust the Pac-12 this year and then the Pac-12 showed it in postseason play. Well, that's how so. Arizona State got in because they beat Kansas, they beat Xavier, uh, they beat San Diego State, they beat Kansas State. And the fact that they played all these teams in non-conference, despite finishing yeah. ninth in the Pac-12. You got to play people. Yeah, yeah. and I USC mean, did it. And, and that's why they really, they don't have an argument in my mind. Uh, I, I expected them to be in. I would have picked them to be in. I get how you can be upset by that, but they don't really have an argument because... They did absolutely nothing to make me think that they had a chance to win a national championship. And I don't think that day, you have to. Yeah, but I don't think you have to establish the fact that you can win the title to prove that you should be in. But wh- the why, why are you field. even upset? You're upset because you didn't get a chance to participate. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that, isn't that silly? Isn't uh, isn't that kind of like I think their argument or something? They, I think they have an argument to be in the field. I don't think that. You can make an argument that they would have done anything with that bid. No, but that's my point is that 
all these teams that try to make arguments about how they should have been in. It's like Crimea River. You have no chance of winning a national title. Literally 0% chance. Who cares if you're in or not? That's honestly how I feel. I, I didn't think it would, you know, if, if they had won the conference or if they had been a couple of teams and shown that maybe they could go deep in the tournament, I'd feel a little bit more sorry for them. But to me, it's just there's there's nothing to complain about. And I've honestly been a little disappointed with uh, the reaction, uh, you know, to USC being in the NIT uh, from the team and I guess some of the fans as well. Um it just, it, to me, it just feels like USC basketball thinks that there's something they're not, you know, and in many respects, I feel like some of the players and some of the fans feel like they're too good for that tournament, and I don't know why they'd feel that way. I really don't. Uh, USC basketball, to me, I think winning the NIT or performing well in the NIT would be a great accomplishment for that program and something to be proud of. So The NIT is older than the NCAA tournament, and USC hasn't won it. In fact, they haven't even qualified for it that often. You mentioned earlier people don't respect USC basketball. I'm trying to understand whether USC basketball respects itself. I was pretty appalled, in fact, by the way that the program initially responded to this entire situation. I get being disappointed and upset and frustrated and again, I think they should have been in the NCAA tournament. It's out of their control. They left it uh, out of their control. If they would have beat Arizona, then they have an automatic bid, you know. And if they had won a little bit more during the regular season, then I think the case would be clear. Where right now it stands, you can argue for and against, and there's pretty strong cases uh, on both sides. But now we're talking about the NIT, where they're number one seed. They get to play at home for three rounds. And Andy Enfield essentially admitted that it wasn't his decision to accept that bid, that the administration forced them to play. I I can't believe it. Go win the NIT. What have you done? What have you won? What have you proven? And and what would it matter to go to the NCAA tournament and you're going to be in the playing round, which maybe you win. And and then what? Like, you're, you're probably losing the next round or the round of 32. You haven't made a Sweet 16. You, you don't have any kind of history or heritage. I mean, there's so many programs that go play in the NIT. Kentucky does it. North Carolina does it. UCLA's done it. UCLA won an NIT title in the 80s, coming off of everything that they had done in the previous two decades. Reggie Miller went and played in the NIT, and they, win that, and they won that title. UCLA, of, of any program in the country at any time, any point in time, the 80s, UCLA did not decline an NIT bid. But USC wants to decline it? <laughs> It's a loser mentality. Yeah. That's that's what it is. It's It didn't go our way, so we don't want to participate anymore. You did us wrong, so we don't want to participate anymore. I'm just ashamed. And, I'm, I'm, well, I'm ashamed. It, 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 well, you should be. And it doesn't stop at the head coach. Well, it, it starts with him, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. leadership right there. 
when your top player quits on the team. Shimenzi Meku took his ball yep. and went home. Doesn't want to play anymore. He has yep. to protect his second round draft stock. He might get yep. injured in the NIT. You who played in the NIT, I mean, many people played in the NIT, but you who played in the NIT, a decade ago, Stephen Curry, after leading Davidson on that Cinderella run in the tournament as a sophomore, came back in junior year, like Metu, and led the nation in scoring and had essentially cemented his stock as a lottery pick when he played in the NIT. That's where his college career ended, playing in the NIT. But Metu is, is worried about getting injured when he doesn't even have any health issues and lingering concerns. It's not football. No. It's basketball. You don't get injured in basketball very often. Well, and again, you know, he's, he's not a lottery happens, pick, though. But, I mean, yeah. th- this to me is backwards because he needs to improve his stock. It, if, he were, if he were DeAndre Ayton and didn't want to play in the NIT, I don't like it, but I understand it. And I'm not making anything of it. But Metu right now is playing for an unguaranteed contract, essentially, in the second round. And so he's concerned about, quote-unquote, playing for free when his pro career could be, could be over in, in a year anyway. He doesn't have anything established. If he can lead USC uh, on a four- or five-game run in the NIT, put more good film out there, I, I just feel like he can only help himself by playing. Well, I, let's I don't think quitting on the team helps him or looks good. And, of course, you can get injured doing anything. I mean, he can get injured at the combine, at the draft combine. Is he not going to yeah. go? Is he, he, shouldn't is he worried his about his room. stock plummeting at the combine so he's not going to participate? Yeah, he, he shouldn't go to uh, Witch Witch on the corner because he has to cross a street to get there. My other thing, too, is that what about his resume uh, of kind of off-the-court or on-the-court behavior issues uh, that I think he's building. I mean, if I if I was an NBA GM, I would never want this guy on my team. There's no way. If I was a European uh, GM, a GM of a European team, I wouldn't want this guy on my team. He's kind of coming across as a head case. I mean, he quits on the team uh, when it goes to the NIT. Uh, earlier this season, he absolutely trashed USC on Twitter. Uh, because of the way that they they were handling uh, the the fallout from the FBI investigation and the players involved, or whatever, uh, he he trashed the to- fan base uh, last week also after the NIT victory, where he kind of gave this pseudo apology for for not participating, and and then said something about how you know the fans uh, I, I missed all of you selling out the arena, and then he cut himself off and wrote oh wait. Because the attendance is poor. And then he nice. deleted the tweet. Nice. Or he was told to delete the tweet. Uh, he uh, tried to punch a player in the private areas this season. Well, I think he did successfully. I don't think he tried. Oh, he did. He actually made contact. He lost his captaincy over it. Yeah. So, um, he's Dennis Rodman without everything that Dennis Rodman does well. So... <laughs> I was talking to a beat writer of the team who, he told me, he believes this isn't even about injury. Metu just is pouting, doesn't want to play. 
Yeah. Like when they didn't get the bid, he was out. And then you yeah. see Jordan McLaughlin, who's played like I think the most minutes in USC history, and playing like essentially every minute in this NIT game, you know, and and giving everything he has to to try to win this game. And him and Elijah Stewart. Uh, Rakosevic was another one that had a great effort. I mean, I actually, so, initially, when I when I saw the reaction and the way that Enfield handled it and Matthew, I, I was disgusted. But I went and watched them play, and I I appreciated the effort from, from those veterans. It's good to see that the most mature people in the room are those that are, you know, playing that are on the court. And it reminds me of USC football a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's, it's just a shame that it almost feels like there's certain individuals associated with the team that make the team easy to root against or to, you know, to root for their failure. I'm just, I'm talking from, I would think, the perspective of somebody that, right, is, is uh, just an individual casual observer of college basketball. If you see USC's head coach saying that, <laughs> they don't want to be in the NIT tournament because they deserved better, and you see their star player sitting out of the game because he's pouting over the fact that they didn't make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I just don't think that's a great look for USC basketball. I don't think I think that, that becomes a team that's like, oh, I, I kind of hope they lose, you know. And I, I'm sure a lot of people were pulling for Asheville <laughs> in that first round game, you know, because I mean, it would have been embarrassing, right? If USC had lost that game, which they almost did, it went to double overtime. If they had lost that game, wouldn't that have kind of just been the perfect cap on them complaining about how they should have made the NCAA tournament and not wanting to play in the NIT? And then you turn around and you lose to the worst team, arguably, in the NIT tournament at home? Yeah. It, it's not a good look, you know, you just, just keep your mouth shut and play. That's kind of what I would suggest. Do you think had they lost and field might have been fired? I honestly don't know because I just feel like that sort of depends on the insane expectations of who's ever in charge is, you know, does the person in charge, do they look at USC basketball like it should be better, it should be a contender, uh, it should be better than this, or do they look at it like, yeah, we can schedule easy and win 20-something games a year maybe, and, you know, that's what we are. You know, I I, I personally would think that uh, even if they lost that game, he finished second in the Pac-12, and they're kind of, I would guess the administration would look at that like, hey, that's overachieving for us. What do we expect? I mean, how bad did it have to get for some of these other coaches to get fired? I mean, outside of Tim Floyd, who kind of got, became the scapegoat for everything NCAA related, you know, I mean, it was, it was awful with Kevin O'Neill there. It got absolutely awful before they fired him. And uh, with Henry Bibby, it got absolutely awful before they fired him too. So I don't think, you know, that, that if they had lost in the NIT, that Andy Enfield's really in danger yet. Although, I don't really know how they view it because the schedule seems set up right. for success See, now. It seems like nobody can lose that many games, you know, no. again or, or get them that far in the toilet. Because Henry Bibby's teams and Kevin O'Neill's teams, even even though that was later, they all played tough out of conference schedules. Right. Again, uh, and so that that's where it's frustrating uh, 
it's a team I don't really cover, so it's a team I can just kind of support as my alma mater and want better for. And I think they're in a they're in a like really lame position where they win a lot of games, but it's in vain. It's empty. They're not they're not improving, right? They they just have a nice record, but if you kind of peel off the top layers of the onion, it, it smells bad. They don't beat anyone good. They don't win yeah. on the road. I, I told you guys before that it had been five years, the, the entire five years that Enfield's been there, where he had not beaten a winning Pac-12 team on the road until this season. He finally did it. a long time. Yeah. I mean, Bob Cantu did this as an interim coach uh, on the third week in the job. It's not that big of a deal. I don't even. I, yeah, exactly. I don't even think that's something where it's like, well, it's USC basketball, which I actually think it's a valid excuse a lot of times when people expect a lot from USC basketball. But yeah, beating a winning Pac-12 team on the road seems like something that anyone that's not in the cellar of the conference could do or should do in a five-year period. I, without question, I don't. I don't know that USC could be a perennial contender. Or, or no. I, I guess that might take like the perfect coach, but I do feel like they should at least make a deep run every so often, right? I, they should. I feel like like what you saw with like George Raveling, where they they had big seasons, even though it wasn't every year, and and with Bibby, they had a couple big seasons, and then yeah. with Floyd, it was actually happening where it looked like they were going to become a perennial contender. Yeah. I think that's totally possible. There's just so much talent in L.A. I and mean, L.A. produces the most NBA players in the world. Well, here's my... is They should never fall outside the top half of the conference, ever. Yeah. Like, it should not happen. And then every once in a while, they should either win it or compete really hard to win it. Get close, you know what I mean? Well, like, I get that a year like this year, in Arizona, I, I, UCLA. Yeah, a year like this year, you finish second. Like, okay, again, I, on paper, that looks fine. You lost Arizona for the regular season title and also in the Pac-12 tournament. I'm not mad at that. But because you hadn't really beaten anybody else, you don't even get into the NCAA tournament. This is a year where they should be in the tournament. And I don't just mean as like a bubble team. I mean, they should be in the tournament as a maybe a 7 or 8 seed and play in the Sweet 16. This season was it. Yeah. You, you had Metu coming back as a junior and Boatwright coming back. I know he's been injured. But you, going into the season, you had these two guys. You had McLaughlin, senior point guard. You had a, another senior starting guard in Elijah Stewart. This is a year where if you can't if you can't make a run with this team this year, then when will you? Well, they were preseason top ten. Preseason top ten, yes. Okay, so at the time, and then by by early December, I believe by December tenth, they fell out of the top twenty five to never return. Well, that's the thing is that when that ranking came out, I chuckled at it and I thought of course. it was ridiculous. Of course, I did. they're I not like, they're not a top oh, ten team. Well. I I just think it's you know people looking at the roster and then thinking, but they should be ranked. Well, yeah, well, that's my thing is that it got overblown because I think people just look at the roster, they read all these stories about what these players should be, and they're probably not that, and they think there's something really special. But USC definitely should have been a ranked basketball team. 
without question. They had all the pieces there to do that. They had all the pieces to be in the NCAA tournament and not be a team where it feels like they should be in, but there's an argument that they that they might not be in, right? Yeah. It, it, they shouldn't have been in a position where the NCAA could have put them in the NIT. Right. should have never happened that way. I mean, they lost to Princeton, dude. Yeah. How did... At home. Like, think, think of... At home. And think about that. I know that they had injuries and whatever. There's no excuses for that. We're talking about an Ivy League team. I bet you Princeton's tallest player is six foot seven. <laughs> really? So, so, I, I, I'm I, over it. I guess that's my conclusion here. Uh, I, I realize that Enfield has done a better job than Kevin O'Neill, and he's made them respectable. But but, but, but they're not going anywhere. They're they're not going okay. anywhere. He's not winning anything. I I I'm ready to move on. I I know what you are. I know what you're not. I'd rather is it even better than Kevin see. O'Neill? What is it even better than Kevin O'Neill? Kevin O'Neill got the rawest deal there. Think about think about it. I don't think you're going to win that argument, even though I understand. I think I, that but I'm O'Neill did some things well that are going to be completely I'm not forgotten. Even arguing that. Yeah, I, but I'm just I think he coached that, a lot better. I, he couldn't recruit. He didn't recruit well. Well, but they didn't allow him to. Think about this. Think about this. Tim Floyd probably paid players at USC when he was there, and that's why they were so This is going to be a fun okay. conversation. Oh, I know. Okay. He gets fired because of that, or because... Other people got in trouble because everybody in college basketball pays players. And then Kevin O'Neill comes in, and they're like, you can't do it. You're going to get in trouble. So USC becomes literally the only major program, right, conference, major conference program that isn't paying players. And they couldn't get anyone to go there. I mean, literally, they could, their best players were like transfers, like fifth-year senior transfers from Rhode Island and stuff. Fordham. Like, it was bad. Okay, Fordham. Sorry, same thing. Geo. Okay, now they fire Kevin O'Neill, and Andy Enfield comes in, and they make his schedule way easier yeah. than it ever was for Kevin O'Neill because Kevin O'Neill had to go through yeah. a heck of a schedule. I even think Andy Enfield's first schedule was actually pretty difficult, if I remember correctly. And they're like, "We're going to change this," and it happened. Right. Uh, so he's an easier schedule, and now there's an FBI investigation <laughs> about them paying players. Yeah. Why do you think recruiting was so much better uh, under Andy? Uh, I'm not naive I mean, to any of this. I understand. Uh, but I'm, I'm not just, even I'm mentioning just it. The, coach, the coaching isn't better. People are going to say the coaching's better. It's no, gotten better. No, the players are since better. Kevin, the players are better. Yeah. USC doesn't have a coaching staff that I look at and I say, oh, that's the coaching staff they need because they need like a Princeton type where it's like, oh, we have the schemes. We're doing something because they're not going to get that top player unless they pay for him, which apparently they're not allowed to do. So I don't know. I look at their coaching staff and I see a coaching staff that's well connected into recruiting and not the X's and O's guys. Yeah. And they got in trouble for being well connected into recruiting. So I don't know where you go from here, honestly. I don't know. What you mean. I think you turn the page. I don't think they're going to though. In fact, they're not. I think Enfield, in, barring further trouble with the FBI or the NCAA, I think Enfield is here to stay. Yes. Oh, to, well. The other thing too is that the administration and the fans have forgotten that they used to schedule difficult basketball schedules. Right. So they they've totally bought into this record. I've never seen anything like this. This is 
the administration, the fans, the team. I mean, <laughs> when they used to win 20-something games, they, like, hung with North Carolina or beat them and played Kansas. And now it's like you guys basically had 14 games where if you lost one or two of them in the, in the pre-conference season – it's like, what happened? How did you do that? Yeah, remember the... And, I think last year they were undefeated. They were like 14-0. and 0. Yeah, so, but the, they've t- everyone's so bought into the record. Nobody looks at the actual schedule yeah. and goes through it. that They, they think Andy Enfield is, is the savior, man. I mean, they, they, people literally think this program is where it was at when Tim Floyd was there. It's when not even close. Program, no, that that team when Tim Floyd left would have been any of Andy Enfield's team by probably like thirty points. But they're way better. They're way better. They actually won the Pac-12. Yeah. Like they actually did it. They won the Pac-12 tournament. Still, yeah, sim- similar accomplishment, right? They actually did it. I mean, they had a player. You know, or multiple players that were you know high first round draft. Well, look at, yeah, look at who they produced. I mean, it's just look at who Floyd produced. A bunch yeah. of guys that are still in the NBA. Demar Derozan's going to finish in the top three for the MVP voting. Yeah. So to just look at the record, but this team conference... has players that don't want to play in the NIT. No, they're worried about their draft stock. No, it's night and day. It's night and day. I just think the leadership is so poor. I I don't know. I I, I don't I, agree, I don't get I don't get the the defense. I don't care about an empty twenty three win season. Now, go in the NIT, I think that'd be cool. I think that'd be nice. They've never done it. Win it. Yeah. Help you for next year if you're on the bubble again. I just think that infield has set a really poor tone. I agree, but they they think he's a winner, even though it's impossible to lose at USC now. It really is. Well, yeah, in in, uh, in non conference. Yeah, no. Kevin O'Neill would win twenty games every year if he came back, without question. Yeah, I, mean, I think most any coach would with the schedule. I don't know how you don't. And in, really in the Pac twelve, I know they finished second, but again, they they couldn't beat UCLA. They needed to win one of those games. They didn't beat Arizona. They couldn't be Arizona State. Yeah. So who did they beat? They beat Oregon. No one. Congrats. Yeah, it, it's it's sad, and I think I, I think it hurts the potential for fan turnout. You know, Chimezi Metu made that nasty tweet. It's Los Angeles, right? Fans aren't going to turn out. To, for USC Arizona, maybe that's like the one game in conference, right? USC UCLA, the two games in conference that you might get a sellout crowd for. You need star power. Ske- they haven't had schedule, it for a while. Yeah, but, schedule the big teams. That's what I'm saying. Schedule would help, and but I mean also I think having a lottery pick would help. And for all the credit that Enfield's gotten as a recruiter, or him and his staff have gotten, they they haven't put out a lottery guy. No, well, and that's not even anything close. And that's all that matters in basketball, really, is getting that best guy. He's going to carry you. They can't do that. They can't bring that guy in. Yeah. They, they were a runner-up for Stanley Johnson. That was, I guess, the closest they've gotten in five years. Yeah, probably. 
I mean, the the thing is, though, the the problem that the fans will have with this as they listen is that I feel like a lot of players they do get get presented as this star, this like uh, potential program changing type player, and they're never that. There's always baggage. There's always something there that that means that they're not as good as advertised. Um, all the transfers that they get, right, from Duke and Louisville. Yeah. These guys are former, you know, four- and five-star recruits. Well, they're they're not good. That's why they're transferring. If they were good, they would have killed it at Duke and Louisville. And, you know what I mean? And so I think that they get these, these credit for getting these players that aren't really, you know, the guy is advertised. Uh, I think that just happens a lot with recruiting rankings, too. I feel like everybody's a four-star. These days, I feel like everyone's a four-star. Everybody that gets recruited by major programs is a four-star, so people get excited. I mean, Jordan McLaughlin, do people really think that USC took him away from UCLA and Kansas? He had those offers, but that's not what happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But they see those offers, they see four-star, and they're like, what are you talking about? Jordan McLaughlin's great. You know, they got him. Well... You know, I don't know. I'm not bagging on Jordan McLaughlin, but is that really a special player that feels like USC, you know, is like a unique player in USC history, is like a guy that they can't usually get? It's a special talent, a potential NBA star. No. No. They don't get those guys. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't since Floyd. No. But I think that they should get some of those guys. That that's all. That's been my point. I mean, I think I yeah. I made this point a year ago at this time when we were talking about this basketball team. They should get those guys. Well, they should because UCLA football gets those guys. Yeah, there's they enough, get NFL it's, guys, it's, right? Yeah, it, well, it's Los Angeles. There's enough talent running around, and then outside of this massive talent base that you're in, that the entire conference has to come to to take guys away from from you. Los Angeles is a city that attracts people. People from outside of Los Angeles want to come and play in Los Angeles. They got O.J. Mayo for that reason. I know that there might have been other reasons, too. But, <laughs> yeah, right? Mm-hmm. He picked the big media market. He wanted to be in Los Angeles. He wanted to be in that city. He wanted to live in that city. We see it all the time in football. So, yeah, they should get those guys. I'm not – I am one of these people that tries to kind of uh, – uh, downplay the expectations for USC basketball because I think that people go a little too far sometimes. But you're right. They they should be able to get some big-time players. They should be able to compete for the conference. And they should never finish outside the top six in the Pac-12 because how are you finishing below Oregon State and Washington State, you know, and Utah and Colorado? It's just like, that. how is that even happening when they all have to come to Los Angeles to get guys? Am I unreasonable, though, to think that they should move on from infield? Now. No, I, I don't think you're unreasonable because he's literally – there's not a single moment in his era like, that what's their best like, win? special. Well, they what, don't have one. I, I mean, they beat UCLA last year at home at, at Galen. I okay. guess that would be it. Except then they went to Poly and they got beat by 30. Yeah. I, but what what's his best win? He doesn't have one. Is it That's winning the, in the the first round of the tournament last year? Is that it? Well, but the, but the the other problem too is that the fans get so excited about stuff that they make these like that the tournament run quote unquote last year that everybody got excited about. 
they played the play-in game right. because they were so bad that they had to play the play-in game. And they barely won against a team that wasn't good. Then they played SMU, a rematch with a team they had already beaten, and they beat them again. And that's in both games, they, they, they came back. They were losing by yeah. double digits in both games. Yep, but they, but that's all they did in the tournament was they beat. I think was it Rhode Island? Was that where I got Rhode Island from? I don't remember the, the, the playing. Game? I don't even remember the playing team, but it was a team that wasn't that good. And then a rematch with SMU. Neither one of them empower six conferences in basketball. And the fans were like, "We won two games in the NCAA tournament." And they're freaking out about it. And Enfield accomplished nothing, but they don't care because the expectations are so low, and they're trying to grab onto things to build their program up. I mean, it's the re- it's the same reason why they look at these twenty something win seasons with absolutely no name wins on the resume and get excited. Yeah, we beat everybody we should beat. That's what they say. That's not exciting. That's not good. It's also again going back to the the perception of the program for people that aren't just you know USC fans and aren't just built into that. You have to build fans outside of just who goes to school there. And, you know, whose dad went there, whatever else. You have to get some casual fans. I really feel that way. I really do. Uh, when you're a program like USC basketball yeah. and it's not, you know, just like you're not UCLA basketball. Yeah. Okay. When USC basketball had Tim Floyd, I felt like they were a program that was easy to root for. They scheduled absolutely everybody. They went anywhere. They played everybody. They played tough. They were gritty. That's a team that people when can root they for. They had stars in their team. They had stars on their team. That's a team people can root for. What is USC basketball now? They schedule absolutely no one. They build a fake record, yeah. and then they complain that they didn't make the tournament. Mm. People are going to root against you. I root against those teams all, whenever, just you know, not college football or college, just anything. Whenever I'm watching sports and I see a team and I've looked at their resume, a pretender. Yeah, it's a pretender or like a undefeated boxer that hasn't beaten anybody right. or you know what I mean. Right. It's just like I want you to lose because them to be it will prove it. Exactly, yeah. expose them. They're not that good. Mm-hmm. That's what that's it. That's what USC is. They're a pretender. Their schedule is to build them into a pretender so they can fake their way into the NCAA tournament so they can say, "Hey, look, we've made the tournament nine straight times. We're a good basketball program." Yeah, Providence. By the way, that was that. Uh, that's that playing game from a year ago. That's like the private Rhode Island. <laughs> All right, let, we're done. That was good. Are we done with basketball? Yeah. No. Okay. Fine. A prediction. Do you want to predict okay. uh, where they're going in the NIT? They play again Monday evening. They're gonna lose eventually. Well, they're playing Western Kentucky, okay. so they might be able to poach a coach. But no, they. Aha. Do you, Do you think they'll win? I I don't know anything about Western Kentucky basketball. It's at Galen still. Yeah. So I'll pick them. Like I, you know what I mean. Yeah. If you if if they scheduled Western Kentucky to come to Galen during the regular season, I wouldn't pick Western Kentucky in that game. Yeah, I don't know enough about them. Okay, I know USC is the top seed in the NIT, so they should be right. Yeah. They should be one of the best. They're one teams. of the, the top. Uh, they're, they're four one seeds. They're one of them. Yeah, I just think they'll eventually lose. I mean, one of their best players quit. They don't want to be there. They're upset. They didn't, you know? Now, okay. <laughs> The the team the players did not play like they didn't want to be there. That's why I I want to separate them for a moment because they showed up. They they didn't play really well. Did they show up? Yeah, they did. Yes, I mean, okay. I watched that game and they. I mean, this team doesn't play defense, but that's not new. That that's an Enfield staple. I, I don't know if Enfield showed up. You know, Matthew was hanging out on the bench, but the. 
the guys that were on the court, the last thing I'm going to do is say that they didn't show up. No, they played hard. I don't know if you can say they showed up. They almost lost to a team I'd never heard of until they got scheduled. To and play that you them. can still not pronounce. I UNC Asheville. <laughs> I can't tell if you're joking. I'm not. There's an E. Yeah. It's Asheville. I don't know where this Asheville can't think came from. Yeah, like, e. like Nashville? Asheville. It's a silent there's E. Asheville. There's a Nashville and, and there's an E No, there's in no E in it, but with Asheville, yeah. the E is silent. Well, if they if if Nashville had an E in it, it would be Nashville. Okay. So, I, I wish I've we, never heard of this yeah. team, and they almost beat USC at home. Okay. So, I, and they're like the eighth seed in the NIT. Oh. That means they're probably like the hundred and seventy eighth best basketball team in the country this year. I wish I didn't know you. Okay. <sighs> I really want to talk about the fans too, but I guess we'll move on. About what? No, I don't know. I just feel like they have a loser mentality, too. So maybe I shouldn't <laughs> that, say that. That's a great topic. Let's go. Maybe I'll just let that one go. You know what, though? Whenever uh, whenever my basketball team doesn't make the NCAA tournament, I always turn and go, it must be the commissioner of the whole conference. Okay, I know what you're getting at now. So I feel like this story is not going to die. People think that USC should leave the Pac-12. Oh, gosh. Let's talk about this. <laughs> I can't wait for, to give my opinion because everybody's going to be so happy with me. Give it up. Uh, should they leave the Pac-12? Yeah. Is that the question? Yeah. yeah, they'd be brain dead if they left the Pac-12. It's literally the dumbest idea in the history of the world. So, there you go. Why? Uh, well, they need the Pac-12. They, they need each other. Uh, I don't know how USC would have gone into the NCAA tournament if their basketball team was playing in the Big West. Uh, I don't know how you continue to be a... But they didn't get in anyway. That, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Okay. Not that I agree with the position that they should leave the Pac-12, but uh, I know that people are listening, and that's, what they're, that, that's their reply to they wouldn't have gotten in. Well, they didn't get in anyway. Okay, so this one time but, when they were on the bubble and they didn't get in, right? So your point is the they would West. they would basically never get in outside of no, when they win the big the, win the big the West tournament. Exactly. And are you getting recruits now? Are you getting recruits? Because you might send your basketball program to the Big West. You're like, yeah, but we're still USC, and they might go, yeah, but you're in the Big West. Uh, you know? Are they really getting them now? <laughs> but it would get worse. Yeah, it would, but. I don't think they're getting what they should be getting anyway. I, well, I think you just you if you do that, you're basically sacrificing every athletic pro, every sport that you have outside of football. Yeah. You're basically saying goodbye because they're not Notre Dame and they're not going to get the ACC or whatever to give them some. You know what I mean? It's like you're they're going to the Big West. Yeah. Outside of football, that is what's happening. That is where they're going. So you have sacrificed everything, every other uh, sport that you have at USC. And does it even benefit the football team? Do you even know for sure that going independent will benefit the football team? I'll tell you that it won't. Uh, why would you give up the Rose Bowl history? Uh, why Why would you give up conference histories with conference rivals? Can you Can you maybe you can schedule these teams anyway? But if you can't, you can't get all like of them. I mean, are, you can't you can't get UCLA, Stanford, Cal. 
Um, I mean, I don't know what matters to people at this point, but you'll be even hard pressed to schedule with Oregon and Washington if you yeah. if you were to leave the Pac-12. Well, and then so you're going to leave the Pac-12 so you can try to schedule all the Pac-12 teams, but not be in their conference. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because those are the biggest games. Let's be honest. Yeah, they. You know, maybe if they could get an, one of the top SEC schools to come to the Coliseum or an Ohio State to come to the Coliseum again, that's a bigger game. Well, I mean, they're going to be, that, be traveling their... a lot too. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're when you're when you exist on the West Coast, you look at the most mileage accrued um, for you know for NFL teams. It's always teams from the NFC West. I'm glad you brought up the West Coast because I want to talk about that for a second too. So that USC football, while it's huge, it's on the West Coast. It's a little isolated. It's a thing out here. It doesn't have the same national demand that Notre Dame football has. No, Independence works for Notre Dame football because even though Notre Dame is in Indiana, they're everywhere because Catholics care about them. Yeah. They have a whole other thing going. The USC, the USC can't be that. Mm-hmm. They just – they I. I think that if you compare football program to football program, I would pick USC's situation. I would because they're in Los Angeles. You know, I don't think Notre Dame has a recruiting base, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think USC has a great situation controlling all of the West Coast or whatever. But you you can't pretend that USC football on a national level, in terms of importance or in terms of eyeballs or television contracts, they're going to demand or anything like that that matters when you're independent cannot think they're going to be in the same universe as Notre Dame because they're just not. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. It's Los Angeles, and people just don't care that much about one specific sport out here. It's just not going to happen, even. And you don't have the national poll. So I just think it's you take if you go independent, your USC go independent football, you're taking all these risks, and you're basically hoping that you can still be the same thing that you are right now. I don't see the argument for how it gets better if they're not a part of the Pac-12. They're not going to have some amazing television deal that the Pac-12 couldn't pull. That's not going to happen. Mm. They're one program. The Pac-12 used them in negotiations. They were a part of the negotiations. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. I they think they could be better on TV. Presented. I, I think on a lot because of fronts, they could I get agree. Direct TV. What? Because they could get Direct TV. Is that what it is? No, I just think that uh, the network unfortunately is failing them. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with that, but that's a problem that that they have to know that they they're the entire conference. You know, in terms of you, in, what matters in college sports, it's only football. It's only USC football in the Pac-12. The 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 two other biggest athletic programs in the Pac-12 are Stanford and UCLA. Mm-hmm. The Pac-12 is weak. That's not a reason to leave it. The reason it's weak is because it's on the West Coast. And while everybody will get mad at me because I know that all of our fans on the message boards always talk about how the West Coast is discriminated against and how there's more talent out here than people say and it's more important or whatever else, okay? What are eight-tenths of the country isn't on the West Coast and are in the same time zones, basically? Do you know what I mean? It's a huge disadvantage. If you look at the map and you look at populations... Yeah. Look, look at the look at the stretch between Texas and California. There's literally nothing there. New Mexico There's State, baby. There, exactly. USC's best basketball win of the year. There, there you go. I'm glad you brought it back up to that. But there's nothing. I mean, the, the outside of Los Angeles and San Francisco and San Diego, all these cities in California, 
there's nothing on the West Coast to really get anybody excited to get these TV deals excited, and, and or you know whatever network executives. And then you look at uh, you know some of these big media markets that the Pac-12 has. Does the Bay Area care about Cal and Stanford that much? Probably not. Not really. No. Do, does well, I, San Diego. I mean, that doesn't even count. They don't have a team in San Diego, but it's it's basically USC football. Yeah. So. But that doesn't mean that if USC football or if USC leaves the Pac-12, it's going to work out for them. They're still on the West Coast. It's a disadvantage in some ways. We're three, you know, three-hour time difference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, what is the solution to that? I, I hear people people get mad when the game's on at seven thirty at night because no one on the East Coast is going to see it. And then they get mad when the game's on at eleven in the morning because you have to get to the game at eleven in the morning. There's no solution. It's just a problem. So, I mean, okay, uh, yeah, I guess there are probably a number of things that are problematic. I think you're better served playing earlier um, because people, at least you're, you're a choice. While at night you're maybe the only choice, a lot of people on the East Coast are asleep. Yeah, so well, I don't I think fall that's good. During those games, uh, what, you know. Yeah, I, like let's just say <laughs> a, an average Pac-12 football game, like not necessarily a USC one, but yeah. let's say it's um, Arizona State and Cal. Okay, I'd rather have them on in the middle of the afternoon with a better TV deal, right? Like, I'd rather have them on, and I get that there are probably four or five other games that are more popular. But people change the channel, they watch all these games. I think playing when everyone else is playing is better than playing when no one's awake. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I just think that people look at the Pac-12, these fans, and uh, you know maybe because their basketball team didn't make the NCAA tournament or maybe because they got thought they got screwed out of the playoffs yeah. or that they don't get national recognition when it comes to rankings, they blame the commissioner and they're like why isn't this better the pack it will never get better for the pack 12 the pack 12 is the most disadvantaged power five conference there is every other conference can expand all over the country pack 12 can't do that the sec can expand from florida to texas to maine and north dakota and it wouldn't be weird pack 12 can't do that they're on an island on the west coast there are disadvantages with that. These commissioners aren't screwing the pooch. The Pac-12 just doesn't have a chance nationally. And if USC leaves the conference, I don't think that necessarily helps USC in any way because USC football is huge in the Pac-12. It's huge anyway. Yeah. I, I haven't heard one. What is the advantage? What is the advantage to going independent? I don't even get it. I have no idea. I can't think of one. Yeah, I've been made aware of an intelligent proposal for how USC would exist separate no, from the Pac-12. The, the idea I just hear is, people complain about it. It's kind of easy to start a Twitter exactly, poll and exactly, cry about it. Exactly. The idea is is that, oh, the Pac-12 is so mismanaged, even though we have no idea how to run a conference or what goes into it or what's actually wrong. We just see that it's not as big as the other four. Well, of course it's not. 
What are you talking about? Yeah, it, it never was. Texas football and Alabama football and Ohio State and Michigan football. Like, there's, of course, it's not as big. It never will be. It can't be. It's impossible. The ACC has Miami, Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Clemson. Like, it's not going to be as big, even the as the ACC, really, in reality. So, what, like, what is the complaint here? You know, it's 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 all based off of fantasy, and it's and it's based off of people being upset and acting like losers and blaming others for their own shortcoming. USC did deserve to make the playoffs in football, and they would have only deserved it if they had won more. It had nothing to do with Larry Scott and the TV deal and not being on DirecTV and the Pac-12 network. It had absolutely nothing to do with that. Mm. Nothing. It's all up to USC. I, I, don't like, I don't like the schedule. I think that you need to schedule the way that the other conferences are. So... I, it's I time agree. to go down to eight conference games. Listen, I completely agree, and we had that podcast, yeah. and I'm totally with you. And I, I, th- I would run the Pac-12 differently too. But at the end of the day, USC hired Clay Helton as their head coach, which, while he's doing well, wasn't like the USC elite caliber hire, and they lost a couple of games. They lost one too many games. That's what happened. Yeah, It wasn't Larry Scott, okay? In basketball. Well, no, I mean, Scott. okay, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> okay. You're moving quickly here. You said it wasn't Larry Scott. It was Larry Scott that scheduled USC to play Washington State um, in week five on a short week back-to-back road games. That, that, that is a Larry Scott thing. Now, okay. I think USC should beat Washington State. Exactly. Right? I, I, yeah. But we're not, I'm not affiliated with the program, so I'm just being objective here. I think I, don't I think remember. that's poor for the conference to do that to anybody. Not because USC lost, but I just think that that's stupid to go hey, back-to-back road games on a short week again. while Washington State played their first five at home. He makes decisions that I don't agree with. Yeah, but that's really stuck, though. That's his schedule. But I get it, but I don't remember a fan base anywhere else being so set on leaving a conference because they felt the scheduling was unfair or they didn't like the television deal. And also, I mean, I hate to say it too, everybody talks about the television deal, but how was Arizona paying Rich Rodriguez more than 123 other coaches? Yeah. Right? How's Stanford paying, uh, you know, David Shaw as much as they are? He's one of the Because they're willing to. USC's unwilling to well, spend, they, there's money spend there. their money. There's money there. Yeah. That's just nonsense. Yeah. There is money there. there oh, absolutely. I totally agree. They, they've so been unwilling they, to spend their money. Yeah. So it, it's, it's fans that are, feel upset, not wanting to look at, their, look at their school, look at who's running their school, look at their coaches, look at their rosters, and they want to blame the conference commissioner. And hey, I don't really know if he's doing that good of a job. I don't claim to be an expert on whether or not a conference commissioner is doing a good job because if you if you think you are, you're wrong. I don't know what is what goes into his job and nobody does, really. Yeah. Except for, you know, the people that run the conference. Well, it's ridiculous. Well, <laughs> but no but no commissioner in the history of the Pac-12 has done a good job, right? It's not like he brought No one thinks like, anyone has been any of them have been good. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe it's the conference. Maybe the conference just isn't that good. It kind of, it, to me, it kind of feels like uh, like Duke football or Vanderbilt football, like hiring a bunch of coaches and firing a bunch of coaches, and it's like, yeah, you still you know lose nine games a year because you suck. Yeah. So that's my little rant. It's silly right now. I think when 
when we're talking about USC basketball not making the NCAA tournament and therefore should seriously consider leaving the Pac-12. With football, not that I want to see them leave or think that they should leave, but I think that there are at least a couple fairly simple solutions that the Pac-12 needs to implement immediately. One of them being, if everyone else is scheduling eight conference games, then go down to eight and eliminate the the back-to-back road game short week. Don't do that. Yeah. Well, the pro- I think the problem is too, don't cannibalize yourself. Well, I think th- this is another issue that people get frustrated with the Pac-12, and it's again more of a regional issue, I think, and who you're stuck with is that there's a lot of loser teams in the Pac-12 that like they voted for that ninth game because they can't get anybody else to play them. You know what I mean? So it's like how do you how do you kind of balance that because you're out west, you can't expand, and there's also not a lot of teams that you know can have cheap travel expenses to come play you out of conference mm-hmm. right i mean it's the mountain west and that's it so i i think it's tough i mean i i think it's silly that they play nine and i think if you're usc you would think that's silly and that doesn't make sense for you but well i mean i think that they're competitive i, I think that they like playing each other and i think that they like the fact that there are 12 teams not 14 and they, you, you just see everyone. You know, I mean, before, for a couple of years there, they were playing nine with ten teams, meaning everyone played each other. Yeah. And before yeah, that, that, for that a long awesome. time, it had been ten teams and they played eight, which yeah, is man. still nearly man. everyone. That's what's kind of cool about it, but now they're, they're victims of that, of that scheduling. So they have yeah. to adapt. Hey, I agree. I just don't think it's something you should leave the conference over. I mean, it's not like uh, winning the most Rose Bowls of any program is something that, you know, is, is a bad recruiting pitch, you know, and do you like, think, giving that up. Do you think a Pac-12 should expand to 14 because that's where a couple of the other ones are? And, and that waters that, down your conference, so then it allows your better teams to kind of feast on some weaker competition. I mean, this is what we got into before with Alabama. Where I lit- I think the Pac-12 should be have sixty schools. <laughs> I think I think they should have every non- they should invite every non-power five conference to join them and have every school that's not in the Pac-12. No, I mean be serious. I really do. No, I but I am serious. <laughs> okay. Because no, I and I know you're like that's ridiculous, but honestly, like, what is the downside to doing that? That's not going to happen. I feel like that's just a waste okay. of time. So okay, I'll. Expand Answer my as question. Much as, as much as you can before it gets to the point where Adam Maya is like, that's ridiculous <laughs> and it can't happen. Expand as much as you can. There's no reason not to. They need to expand. Every other conference can. They're, they're, they're getting left out because they're the only regional conference. All these conferences started out as regional conference, right? Atlantic Coast, Southeast, Pac-12. But they're not anymore. They're not. The SEC is all over the place. It's in Texas. Mm-hmm. It's in Missouri, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not the SEC. The ACC isn't the ACC. The ACC is the West of Texas Conference or East of Texas mm-hmm. Conference. It's like every state, mm-hmm. East of Texas, right? Uh, the Big Ten doesn't feel so Midwesty anymore with like Maryland and Penn State, right? And then, it, but and it goes Nebraska. all the way out to it goes all the way out to Nebraska. Exactly, yeah. like that's pretty much the whole country outside the West Coast. Pac-12 is the only one that's the West. I think of the Big 12. The Big 12 used to be the Southwest Conference and it combined with the Big 8, yeah. right? 
Well, now they don't they don't pretend that it's a regional thing. It is, you know, they are still pretty regional, but yeah. they're not pretending like that. They're trying to get Notre Dame if they can, or they'll take Florida State or Clemson if they can. They took West Virginia, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Pac-12 needs to get off the West Coast. They need to become a national conference because that's where everybody's going. And if the other Power Five conferences are in every uh, household, you know, from Nebraska to Florida and New York, right, from uh, from Oklahoma to Maine or whatever else, and that just leaves this little sliver that's really just California because, as I talked about before, there's really no one in New Mexico and Nevada and Colorado and Utah and all these places. It's just not that many people. And so you're on an island. And that's what's happening is the Pac-12 is on an island by itself. No one outside the West Coast cares about it. And the, every other conference is the entire country except for the West Coast. It's not the East Coast. It's not the Midwest. Yeah. It's not the South. It's the entire country. Right. They need to expand without question. I, I just meant more... Not necessarily expanding with teams outside of the region, but I mean within the region. Like, do you, do you go get do, do you too. go get UNLV and San Diego yes. State? Because think about first of all, UNLV and San Diego State are great examples because those are two programs they feel like right they're in big media markets and they've done well either in basketball or football or both in recent times. And I would get them because what's stopping the Big Twelve from getting them? Then you have a new problem, which isn't just what I talked about, where it's like, oh, you're the only, you're the West Coast one, you're on an island, and every other conference has every other part of the country. Well, every other conference is going to start invading the Mountain West and taking those teams, and pretty soon they'll be on the West Coast too. And you'll have the Big 12 on the West Coast, and you'll have yeah, the Big 10 on the West Coast, right? And now you're fighting with people in your backyard. And maybe San Diego State wins the national title in football eventually or whatever, right? Like it can happen. And that's a whole new problem. So I would def- I would take all the West. I would take the whole Mountain West. I would just snip the problem <laughs> in the butt. I'm not even kidding. There are no teams that you can take now to expand to the West Coast. The West Coast is ours. No Boise. No UNLV. No San Diego State. No Hawaii. Nothing. Nothing. It's all Pac-12. That's, how, that's what they should do. I don't even see the downside because once you add these teams to your conference, people eventually just start to respect them more because they're in the conference. It'll take time. Yeah, but down the line, there's no downside. It waters. Yeah, I mean, it waters down the competition. It does, but does that matter? You don't play everybody. You know what I mean. You still have USC. Still USC. You know those other three teams that are closer to them are still those three teams, and then everybody else. It's like, does it matter that it's watered down? Yeah, you know? I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think if you're talking about getting into the playoffs or, you know, what, what the national perception is. I really don't – the Pac-12 added every team in the Mountain West right now. I really don't think anyone nationally, any national college football writer, would argue that the conference got worse. Mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't really care what they write, but I don't agree with you at all. I think that a lot of people make that, that conference. Point. Why would you think the conference got worse? Because you added weaker teams. Okay. But they, you still have the same 12 teams that you had before. Yeah, but you're bigger. I mean, so that's where the bias kicks in because the SEC has benefited the doubt with the top-heavy programs, even though they have quite a few at the bottom that 
are not competitive, that don't belong in the Power Five. They're not among the whatever that would be. I don't know how many teams are in the Power Five. It's what, in the neighborhood of 60? It's over. Yeah, no, I know. So it's in the neighborhood so between 60 and 70. Yeah. Um, so. There are three or four in the SEC that aren't among the top 100 teams in college football. No. But no one cares because yep. of who's in it. Because Georgia and Alabama and Auburn, yeah, I mean, because they're in it. Yeah. But a lot of those teams haven't done much historically either. So that that's, this is my point. Which ones? Is that a lot of the SEC teams that people respect... Yeah, I mean, even like in Ole Miss, what or Mississippi well, State, even Georgia. What is Georgia? Because they went to the national title this year. They haven't won a national title since the '80s, and they've only won what, like two? They're nothing. But it, but it doesn't matter because if you water down the conference enough, eventually they have enough ten win seasons where people think they're good. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Yeah, is that if the Pac-12 expanded today to 24, 30 years from now. UCLA might win 10 games all the time because they don't have to play anybody anymore, and people will be like, UCLA is a great football program. Yeah. It'll take time, yeah. but it will eventually happen. Yeah. So start now. <laughs> I, I, would, I would expand with maybe two. I, I'm not going to add 12 teams. Pack 72. <laughs> Sunbelt, you're in. Conference USA, get over here, buddy. Yeah. We want you. We want them all. Anyway, okay. Uh, you want to talk football today? Are we going to? We're only like an hour and a half in. Yeah. I think. All right, well, spring practice, they've been on break for over a week now. They are set to resume this Tuesday, and they'll go four weeks straight. So not much has really changed from our, uh, since we last recorded. They had a couple more practices, and only one was in shelves. But they, they're going to go full pads once they resume. And there'll be a lot more to talk about. But what we thought would be pertinent to discuss for now, because it really kind of feels like spring football is about to begin. I mean, I know that they began, but it was kind of a, really a preview and getting their feet wet and maybe working off a bit of the rust. They, they really haven't gone full speed yet. So given that, it's going to begin in earnest this week. We're going to highlight who we would say is the most important player at each position for spring practice, where this is the one guy out of that position group um, who I think has the most maybe to lose or to gain or you know needs to, to have a good spring. For this football team. We usually begin with quarterback. And work our way down. Let's go the other way. Let's start. Yeah let's start in the secondary. So. We actually didn't really have. An individual. (laughs) We're already breaking the rules here. We didn't have one safety. Uh, We just wrote not Marvell Kell. But. um, It's probably Bubba Bolden. I, I think right now, especially with Isaiah Polamau still working his way back from the shoulder injury and unsure whether he'll be able to go full contact, I did speak with him before the break, and he felt good, and he was just happy to be back. And he looked good. He, he practiced well, but he had 
he did inform me that they're going to kind of play it day by day. And when we get back into practice, he very well might be cleared. But because I don't know that yet, Bubba Bolden becomes, I think, clearly the most important safety right now for spring practice. Because he's the one that not only is he tasked to replace Chris Hawkins, but he's just a completely different athlete. A different player. And really, the type of player that they've needed for a while in the backfield. And they haven't really gotten for some time. What do you think about Bubba Bolden? What What do you think he can do right now? Uh, what do you think he needs to do? I, I mean, I think he needs to be a star at safety for them. And then, I, and how, I, what does I that mean, though? Like, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I've written that too. But what does a star look like? He needs to make a lot of plays on the ball, and he needs to hurt people to come over the middle. Yeah, I think it's yeah, physical. I want, I want him to be the guy that everybody talks about every week. You know, yeah. as the enforcer, the hitter, the oh my gosh, he's going to hurt people. Look at these big hits. Look at what he's doing out there. Because, like you said, USC hasn't had that in a while. TJ McDonald, Taylor Mays, right? Yeah, that was a while ago. That's it. That's it. And uh, that's that's what I think they need from him because I think if you have that part of the defense, it's huge. Yeah, the the pass plays over the middle are a big deal. You know, I think it's it's the shortest distance for a quarterback, right? They're big plays, and I think when you have receivers thinking about they're going to get their head taken off. I think when you have running backs uh, with the ball, maybe if they break into the secondary knowing that there's a safety that could hurt them, I just think it's a big deal. I really do. I, it's it's a mental game, and I, I think that that's just a huge advantage, just having that guy. So yeah. that's what I think he needs to be. Yeah, and what we saw last year with Hawkins, he wasn't in coverage a lot. Of course, as a safety, you're going to be involved in coverage, but... More often than not, his primary responsibility was against the run. And, and I mean, that's why he was one of the leading tacklers for the last three years, really. Bubba Bolden, this is where he has a body. And he can be a difference maker in that regard. They need better run defense. And I think that's what they're going to ask him to do. So... Can he be Kevin Ellison? Is that is that uh, too much to ask? Now, I don't mean right away, but I'm just saying, is that his ceiling? Can he be Kevin Ellison? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Ceilings, I, I mean, like, when we talk about ceilings, I feel like it's it almost gets to the point of where, like, most of these kids, it's like, yeah, they have that ceiling because they're a great athlete. And we don't know enough about him yet. I mean, he hasn't played very much. Yeah, exactly. But that, to me, was their best safety probably since Palomalu. Kevin Ellison? Yeah. You liked him more than Darnell Bing? Yes. A lot more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I guess I would pick Ellison. You'd pick him over Mays before his senior season. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I would. 
I mean, they, they played alongside each other. I, I think Ellison was better. So, okay. yeah, Bubba Bolden, big opportunity. And we're highlighting him because he is getting some first-team reps there at strong safety. Um, it's a pretty open competition. Um, I'm sure that they're going to rotate a lot. I mean, Hilton emphasized that more than once in week one that he was going to play people on the first team and second team and, and try to get equal reps, really, for for people that were on both of those teams. But we know that Marvell is the free safety, and and he's their leader back there. But who's he playing with? Um, Paul Mal also is in the mix, like I mentioned. But um, I think he might be at free. I think that's where they're gonna where they're gonna have him for now, uh, depending on what what he can give, what he can give. But uh, you know, of course, he could obviously crack into the, the starting rotation. They're just really young there. They got Talanoa Hufunda already there, true freshman. Um, I really like the way he was flying to the ball in week one. And then C.J. Pollard is still there. Uh, he's actually in year three now, and so he's someone that I would suspect would have a real chance to play where before you know, he redshirted and then he just wasn't in the mix. But now he'll have the chance to at least uh, compete for playing time. But Bubba Bolden, I mean, this is a golden opportunity. And I'm always curious to see what young guys do when they're just given a lot of reps. Sometimes young guys, they don't even get reps and they got to fight for them. And maybe that kind of demoralizes them and, you know, and it kind of puts them in the funk and sets them back. And we've seen that with different people. But right now, Bolden's going to get them. So these next four weeks, I think, are, are huge for him. Um, another guy that's in that in that mix as well is Achille Ross, who is kind of kind of a Swiss Army knife for them. You know, I mean, plays nickel. Um, he could play corner. Can play safety. Uh, he, he made some plays in week one. I'm, I'm still not clear on what position. In fact, I asked him, and he didn't seem to know what what exact position he would be at. And and so he he might play more than one. But while while that's useful, it's probably not someone that is going to be a full time starter. So, Papa Bolden, it, it, uh, the floor is yours. Let's see what happens. All right. Cornerback, we discussed a few names here, but we agreed that the guy who needs to have a big string more than anybody is Biggie Marshall. Yep. And as a returning starter, you might, I mean, a three-year starter, you might wonder, usually like those kind of players, I don't really highlight in spring because they're established um, their role on the team is cemented, but Biggie had, uh, you know, he had a difficult year last year. He wasn't healthy. He didn't perform up to uh, the ability that he showed the year before. So therefore, he obviously hadn't improved. He had to come back, right? I mean, the the hope was for him to go to the NFL, and he had to come back. 
Um, there's still those rumblings that you know he should be at safety, which I don't think are really going to leave him. Although, as I told you guys last time, he's not moving there. So, whether or not he's going to play a different position, uh, the focus for him is, I need to be great at corner. Uh, I thought he had a great week one. In fact, uh, I think it was one of his better weeks in some time. But I'm not going to make too much of that. I just think, as a whole, this spring... It's time. I mean, you're a senior, and and you are an NFL prospect. So these are the kind of players that USC. It's very different than Bolden with Biggie Marshall. He needs to dominate. He should yeah. own spring practice. He should be the best player on the field at times, and and be the best player in the defensive backfield on a regular basis. That's what he should Jeez. look like. He needs to prove that being named a five-star means more than just you got a scholarship offer your freshman season in high school. We've known his name for a long time. We've been talking about him for a long time. And he people know that, you know, that I like the kid a lot, and I've gotten to know him and his father. And so definitely, you know, I wish for the best for him. But these are all things that I've communicated even to them. You know, he he needs to be great. I think he's been good. I think he's maybe gotten a bad rap at times. That I agree with. But it, it, at this point, I don't need to defend him. He just needs to be great. And I think practicing great is, is a good start. It's an important start. I think he needs to be great right now. He doesn't have the benefit of kind of uh, waltzing into fall like the way Adoree did after competing in track and field and then showing up in the fall and, you know, obviously being a starter and being able to, I guess, pick up where he left off. Even though I think with, with Adoree, it, it, uh, it's interesting what people would, re- would remember about, about the way he played as a cornerback. But with Biggie, he has to prove it every day. And he works really hard. You know, he, he's not someone that, um, that I would say takes practices off. I just want to see him play at a higher level. I think the one area where he would need to improve the most is tracking the ball. Downfield especially. Uh, and that's a little bit of what we saw in week one. I noticed that. But it wasn't something, again, I wanted to make a big deal about after a couple practices. Um, I'll never do that to you guys. I'm not going to hyperbolize my coverage. Uh, but but Biggie made a couple plays downfield, you know. And, and this is where I think uh, he's had some issues. Because maybe he hasn't given up a lot of big receptions. Um, although the ones that he has, people remember. But it's the penalties. So he needs to be clean. And, and that, that goes along with tracking the ball. So he, he looked a little bit leaner. I thought he moved well in practice. Um, I, I haven't asked him what he weighs. But my guess is he probably weighs 
maybe in the neighborhood of Woody Wade freshman year, um, but without the baby fat. It looks like it's better weight. It's distributed better than it was before. That's just what I saw. That's what it looked like. But just my impression um, from afar. But I, I think, again, this is an important time for him. Uh, Jack's not there, you know? So Biggie, not only uh, does he kind of need to, to, I think, establish himself as a, a good corner, but he has to be a leader on this team. Because his teammate is going through a tough time, and he's not in the picture. And that's the cornerback room right there. And who are they all looking at? This is a really young group behind them. I mean, there are some veterans behind them as well that maybe are in the rotation. But they're going to introduce a few new corners. Chase Williams is already there. Biggie's the leader, Right? Biggie and Marvell. They're the leaders now. So, uh, leadership is something that I'm really curious to see how that manifests on this defense. When you lose Rasheem Green, you lose Hawkins, you lose Michelin Nwosu, uh, Cam's still there, of course. Even Porter, I know Porter's a leader, but Porter's coming off of injury, you know? coming off of a funky season. So both for Biggie and Marvell, I think that's going to be very important that they uh, that they set an example and that would begin right now in the spring. Okay. Linebacker. Jordan Iosef. Jordan Iosef. I think that uh, he could be the difference for them between having like a good linebacking core and, like, a really good linebacking core. Yeah. That's why I thought he'd be on the list, because I, I look at some of these other names, it's like, okay, we know what Cam Smith is going to bring, we know what Port Augustine's going to bring, right? But if this guy, you know, can bring it and be at that level, be at a high level too, they're going to have a really nice group of linebackers. And if he can't, they might just be good. They might just be pretty good at linebacker or whatever. Yeah, I think they have a high floor. And I think you're right. I think he's probably an X factor here. He's someone that they like to move around. And those Sam and Predator spots are a bit interchangeable. And he fixed that. He can play both. He's played both. And I mean, day one, in fact, the day before we recorded our last podcast, day one of spring practice, they had him at Predator. And then they were they were kind of uh, you know, implementing Porter back into the mix and then they put Iosefa over at Sam, which is where I suspected he would play and, and fill in for Nuosu. And not that he won that position or won that job or whatever, but that's who they're hoping will fill that void. And he he seems best suited to do it. Um, another kid with a great work ethic, really focused, uh, got a nice humility to him. We'll see, but because Uchenna was just so good, and and but Uchenna took over for 
Stuart Cravens. And initially, you would have thought, like, well, there's going to be a drop-off there from Stuart to Uchenna. And Uchenna was there for two years, and, well, I mean, definitely from 2015 and 16, Uchenna wasn't quite at the level of Stuart. But by the end of 2017, I think he was playing at a, a level higher than Stuart. Or he had a better season than Sua did. And yeah. now Jordan Jordan now is a junior. So it's kind of similar to Uchenna, where he'll be there two years, and this year maybe he doesn't quite play at the level Uchenna did, but by the end of it, we'll see. Um, they're, they're not identical either. Um, I think that Ilsefa is maybe naturally a little bit bigger um, than Uchenna was. I think Uchenna got really big, you know, and he's still getting bigger. But with Ilsefa, I think that it's. Um, he didn't have to. He doesn't have to work so hard on his body to get it where it needs to be to play that position. Um, but they're pretty similar. They're, you know, they're more similar than maybe Chenna and Sua were. So anyway, I like Ayosefa a lot. Um, it's another guy where I I keep thinking about the run. You know, I I know that they they led the nation in sacks, and that's a bright, shiny number that people will gravitate toward and that the the coaches, you know, and the marketing department can promote. But this was a team that struggled against the run. And and not not because of each other also, but that's where um, I think uh, it's important for him, you know, especially this spring. And you, you just hope that they run the ball a lot. I'm not clear on whether they will because of their situation at running back. But um, I think that they need to be tested, and I think that it's really important for the linebackers um, in this regard. And especially with someone like Iosefa, who he's always been ready to play because he, and he, and he's had to play like spot duty, but he hasn't been a full-time player on a regular basis yet. So even this spring, he's taking all these reps that he had never gotten before. This is this is even though it's not new to him, I think it's uh you know, he he talked about that when I when I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, where he's in a position that he hasn't been in before. So this next month I think is really important for him in that regard. All right, defensive line. Caleb Tremblay. Yeah, there are a couple people that we could have went with, I think, uh, on the line, but we're gonna we're gonna go with Tremblay because they need him to be good right away. Yep. Uh, of course, there's development and everything with every player, but they need to play. They're gonna be. They're gonna hope to play him from day one. And first impressions. He was smart. He was quick. Uh, in the pass rushing drills, 
he excelled. He he stood out. I thought he was their best pass rusher um, in in the one on one drills that we saw uh, in their third practice when they were in shells. He just kind of dominated that, which I didn't even expect that so much. But it's exactly what they need and and what they want from him. Yeah, I think they need Tremblay to be like their Stevie Tolkolavatu from a few years ago, like their Josh Fatu. Uh, you know, that kind of guy that just, it seems like they come in and plug and play a little bit, fill a hole. I think that if he is that guy, if he can make an immediate impact, USC's defensive line has a shot to be pretty good. But, you know, I worry that if he's not that guy, that they could have serious issues. So that's that's why I think he was the perfect pick. They need him. They need him to be great. Uh, we don't know what he is yet. He hasn't been on campus until, you know, this spring practice or whatever. So... Uh, to me, it's the perfect candidate for this kind of category because they need him. He needs to be good. We're unsure. I feel like uh, if he has a big spring, though, it's it's just a big difference for them. To add a player like that, to add a defensive lineman, if he's an impact guy, that's huge. Uh, that feels like you signed a free agent um, almost, right, to your roster a little bit. Um, and, if he, and if he's not that guy, you know, what a waste. They need him to be that guy. They really need defensive linemen. I feel like I've been saying that for years. It always seems to work out. I would guess it'll work out this year, but uh, I would guess it would work out this year because Caleb Tremblay is playing well. Yeah, now free agent probably a great term for it. Now, of course, he's playing a different position than Fatu and Kui Kulabatu are playing. He's playing on the edge. Uh, that's someone that is more of a three or a five. But I think he might be the guy that you know goes double digit in sacks. You know that might be his biggest contribution, and and he might be a specialist. He might be someone that if they're going to use three down linemen more, then you make him a defensive end. I don't know yet. We we again we haven't seen enough of these team periods to know how they're building the defense. And I'm not going to just simply assume that they're going to do everything that they've done the year before. If you're going to build around your personnel and you have Caleb Tremblay and you have Christian Rector, then maybe you you use the 3-4 a little bit more than they did. So it, that remains to be seen. But I think Tremblay can be an impact player on the end. Uh not much different than Rasheem Green. I mean, that, where Rasheem kind of had to play almost out of position at times, um, I, I think Tremblay, it, it could be similar. You know, if, if you're only using two down linemen, then I, I, don't, I don't know how comfortable Tremblay will be uh, in that, that alignment. Maybe he's fine. I, I, I've not seen much of him, right? But um, I just see his skill set lending itself to, to playing on the end. And, and so that was very encouraging because this defensive line is one that I think um, could be a, a real concern. I know that we think that going into each year and it's worked out pretty well. And uh, But I, I feel like part of that was because if we're talking about spring practice, well, we didn't know about Stevie Kilikolovacu. 
and I did a good at that point. And then last year, you were relying on a true freshman in Marlon Tuipoloku and Josh Fatu, who didn't play a lot the year, the first year that he was there. So it, there were a lot of unknowns. And this year falls in line with that. There are unknowns on the defensive line, X, Y, while we're highlighting Tremblay, we could have just as easily said J.Q. Fele, who I thought had a great first week. Um, I like the way he was shedding blockers and just really using his power. It's, it's a very strong kid. And I, I feel like that was, I, I don't know, it maybe he just was, it, it was just so new to him and he was so raw, but last year uh, we weren't seeing it. But you knew he was there though. And I felt like with spring, it was a fresh start, and and he was showing that. So, you know, if if you can get Kufele up to up to speed, and Tremblay is already ready to go, and then Brandon Peely is another one. You know, another guy that we could have chosen here. Um, there's a lot of potential on this line, but uh, a lot of questions as well. Okay. All five stars, though. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. All right. Offensive line. Who's your pick? Austin Jackson. Okay. Obvious. <laughs> you know how I feel about left tackle. It's like my favorite position in terms of uh, how big it is. I feel like it's just it's just massive. I feel like if you don't have a left tackle, if your left tackle's an issue, you're not going to have a good team. I just really feel that way. Well, um, you're not going to have a great line. Yes, but that and that usually means you're not going to have that good of a team. So, to me, total swing here. If the kid's a monster. I feel like when he was in high school, everybody was like, oh, he's for certain going to be a first-round NFL draft pick someday. So, you know, I'm sure if he lives up to that, USC offensive line could really figure itself out. I think that if they figure out that left tackle position, I'm not really high on all of the names on the line. But, heck, I think they have a lot of guys where it's like you can really figure out a quality interior. If they have that left tackle position figured out, they could have a really good offensive line. I think if they don't have that left tackle position figured out, their offensive line's not going to be very good at all. I, I really think it swings because, you know, it just swings it. Uh, it's so important. And I look at the rest of their line, I think, okay, right tackle, pretty good. The interior, pretty good. Left tackle's the huge issue. If it's figured out, if Austin Jackson kills it this spring, and it looks like he's going to be everything as advertised or as talked about when he was coming in, sky's the limit, man. They could really run the ball, and they could really give whoever their quarterback is a lot of time to find some great receivers. But if he's a mess, I don't trust this offensive line at all, just like I haven't trusted them for the last few years. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure for him. I mean, he's still a freshman in school, He'll be a sophomore in the fall. He's getting first-team reps with Clayton Johnston, who I would say had the better first week. I expect the two of them to compete for that job through spring and into training camp. And I think if I wasn't going to every practice, I would think... Austin Jackson will win that job and 
we'll see what happens. But because I'm there, I don't know if he'll win that job. I, I don't know that. Um, but I, I get that there's a really high ceiling. I understand that he's probably the first lineman that people have really believed would be like a a bona fide NFL prospect um, since probably Khalil. I think with other guys there was a hope and a chance, but I think with Jackson, that's almost the expectation that he'll grow into that. And he's still really young, so I'm not saying that he needs to do it now or that, you know, that if he doesn't, then he's a bust. Um, it's just that the window's wide open. Tolobagon has moved, and they need a left tackle. And they've needed better play from that position for some time. And you're I agree with you, too, that if you have a good left tackle, it kind of takes your entire line to another level, and uh, therefore, you know, your entire offense. It's, it's one of the more important positions on a football team. Yeah. So, it's a competition. It's, it's one of the more exciting battles that we have right now, and although no starters will be named at the end of spring, I do think that you can you can pull ahead and establish yourself like like right now at receiver, you know, already Tyler Vaughn's and Michael Pittman, um, unless they got into trouble or they had like a serious injury, they're starters. You know, there are some starters that are already uh, you know, basically in pen on this team, whether they've been publicly acknowledged or not. And, and the depth chart is something that I will be updating throughout spring because USC's not releasing one, so be sure to check the site for for my projected depth chart. But I think that Jackson has a golden opportunity here to to show that he's the best tackle or the best left tackle in the team. I just I'm, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to happen. I think that the way people talk about it, they, they just expect that it's going to happen for sure, or that it's you know that it's happening. That that's not true. That you mean that's how exactly how they talk about every recruit that USC signs. Yeah, yeah. I, it's the thing. Like you have you can monitor this stuff, and, and yeah. right now he's behind Clayton Johnston. And he's not just going to be good because he was in the Rivals 100 and Clay Johnson wasn't. It's not how it works. No. No. Okay. Worth including in a draft evaluation, though, I'd say for sure. <laughs> I hope you guys talk that. All right. Moving on. Let's talk about tight end. Ooh, tight end. Am I just screaming a name out before you get started? You're going to like start to ask me something. I'm just going to scream the name out. No, Josh Follow is the guy that we're going to highlight here because Daniel Matarbebe is out and Tyler Petit is, you know what he is. 
So, is this going to be a playmaking position? Is this going to be a position that they're going to throw to? That the quarterback that it can look at as a security blanket or as a a game breaker? I think those are the things that follow potentially brings to the table. He's just a huge target, really athletic, an ideal prospect at tight end. And he got he got his feet wet, right? Freshman year. He helped. He he made he made a, an impact there at times. He made a kid transfer. He didn't transfer. No, I said he made a kid transfer. He made it, yeah. I, I don't know. I <laughs> you could think Baxter. That was a joke. Yeah, ba- Baxter a joke. made a kid transfer. Okay, that's that's accurate. That's not a yeah. joke. But follow someone that I have my eye on because I think that he's different. I think that he can make the offense different. Um, I I like what they have in this receiving core. You know, they're just they're, they're tall. They're big. They haven't had uh, across the line uh, a group this big in some time. It it feels like what Carroll was working with for a while. You know where you have the bigger receivers. Um, and I mean uh, uh, the Titans always typically pretty big, but. Follows, you know, quite a bit bigger than even a modern baby. So, well, but doesn't it kind of depends though? I think it's going to feel like what Carroll had if if Follow becomes a big playmaking tight end, or even if Imada Bebe does. They just need that guy for it to have that same feeling because I feel like that's just been missing most of the years. Even when they have a guy that looks the part or whatever. Uh, it just feels like, oh, tight end is not that explosive. It's just an extra body on the field, and the offense doesn't feel as scary. Yeah. So that's why I have an eye on him is because I think that's that's critical to USC's offense. I honestly, I get why they recruit the tight ends they recruit or whatever. I know that you have to, you know, spacing, have to take one in every class or whatever else. But in a way, I don't get it because I just feel like unless USC – is recruiting like an insane athlete at tight end that's really going to be a difference maker. I almost don't even get why they bother. Yeah. You know, what what does what does the reliable older senior tight end with no athletic ability or whatever that just makes these like four yard K, what does that get you? I, I just feel like that player can be brought in without recruiting him. You know what I mean? I feel like that could be like uh, like a position change or like a walk-on that, you know, like a preferred walk-on that got really good over four years and ate a bunch of steroids or whatever. <laughs> I, I just, I don't get it. So to me, I look at the Josh Follows, I look at the Daniel Yamada Bebe's, and I'm like, okay, like you guys need to make it for USC for them to have that weapon because some of the other guys, I'm not trying to be harsh on the other guys on the roster, they just feel more average. They just feel like blockers. They just feel like extra bodies out there. It doesn't, seem like it's the same. So that's why I uh, voted for Josh Follow as we were voting on here. Voting, yeah. Because he seems different to me. He gives me that Bryce Dixon excitement. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, a Grand Theft Auto stabbing <laughs> type excitement. You know what I mean? I'm not talking about, like, we're in a stolen car going okay, 15 down the 110 freeway with LAPD chasing us <laughs> excitement. I'm talking about, like, a real playmaker at tight end. Yeah, thank I'm you. Done. I, I got it the You're first welcome. time, but thank you for clarifying. Uh, a couple numbers to keep in mind. 
because nine one one. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you're absolutely right about the lack of production from tight ends. They have not gotten forty receptions from their tight ends since two thousand twelve, and they haven't had a tight end individually catch thirty passes since Fred Davis in 07, over ten years. Josh Follow is the kind of guy that can catch 30 passes. Uh, and they have the the group there, especially if Amada Bebe is back, that should catch 40 passes collectively. Yeah, well, since they have 80 tight ends, <laughs> they should. You know, If they don't, John Baxter should coach a different position. <laughs> Recruit more of those players to the team. Yeah, sometimes I wonder though, if it come down to the players or is it the offense? I don't know. I, mean, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't pin it on a quarterback. Run, so. Like I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't pin that on Darnold from the last two years because no. he showed that he was willing to throw it to everyone. And there's a mean joke in there if if you want to fill in. You know, even players on the other team, but um, ooh, but <laughs> I didn't want to make it. That was a mean joke. I, That's like a Mike Farrell, Adam Gorney article about Sam Darnold joke. Right? Yeah. We get in trouble someday. But I'm, I'm sure people think that I favor Darnold, so I felt like if I make that joke, then you know, I'm being fair. You don't like him as much as Ronald Jones, though. So everybody knows that. I guess. Okay. Or Daniel Amor to Bebe. Ha ha. I'm not falling, but uh, we're going to move on anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. Move on. So Don't listen to any of Adam's past podcasts about Daniel Amor to Bebe. All right. Wide receiver. Right Michael Pittman. I picked Michael Pittman. Yeah. Why? Uh, well, I just, if he's great, if he, if he becomes an elite receiver with that body and that size and then with Tyler Vaughn's on the other side, who I kind of feel like, even though Michael Pittman sort of really came into his own at the end, I feel like Tyler Vaughn's has already become like the more reliable, like, you know, we know what he is type guy, so I pick Pittman. But if Pittman hits that ceiling, they're going to have a really scary group of receivers, man. I don't know how you defend that. He's really tall and really big. I don't know how you defend him. If you do, you know, double-team him or whatever... Uh, how are you defending Tyler Vaughn's on the other side or whoever else they figure out to be their slot guy, which I assume will be somebody pretty good. Um, so I feel like if he takes a jump, if he's if he's like one of the best receivers in the Pac-12, USC's group of receivers, they're going to really help uh, whoever the quarterback is get comfortable yeah. and you know kind of get in there right away and do some things. Yeah, I think so too. Uh- I got the impression from last year. Like, I mean, this year's going to be new for both Pittman and Vaughn's, but it appeared as though Vaughn's would be very steady, game in and game out, which is not to be taken for granted. With Pittman, I feel like he could explode. And while he might not lead the team in receiving, he's going to have games where he goes off. So, I understand the choice here uh, to highlight him for spring practice. They both looked really good in week one. They were basically 1A and 1B. Uh, 
And yeah, I mean, I, I think they're probably equally important. And even though they're they're different, but uh, Pittman is someone like like you mentioned who maybe would draw the double team more, and therefore um, could impact impact everything in that way a, a little bit differently than than Vaughn's maybe will. But uh, I, I like Michael Pittman. I I didn't know, you know, there was a time last year where, when he was injured and then coming off an injury and it, it took a while and it was unclear why he wasn't playing. And after, I thought, a promising show in his freshman year, he didn't play very much on offense. He played special teams. But when he did play on offense, I liked what he did. And so I assumed last year he could break out and then wasn't even playing for about half a season. And you started to wonder, okay, why is this kid not playing? And not that I want to rehash all that and get into that. Ooh, I, let's do it. No, we don't need to. But the point is, he eventually started, and he was excellent at times. He dominated the Pac-12 championship game. And they're going to need that. This is a, a team that's built to rely on their skill players more than their quarterback. You know that that's something that as I've talked to uh, some scouts in the last couple months about Darnold, and if you're reading up on this stuff, I'm sure a lot of you are uh, leading up to the draft and, and even you know the combine and pro day is actually coming up this week. And so I'm going to have a chance to catch up with Darnold there. But uh, it's been said by quite a few people that people that were dissecting the USC offense, they put a lot of weight on Darnold's shoulders. Probably too much. Probably too much on his plate. And I think with this quarterback situation... I would assume that they're going to approach it differently. And therefore, you're going to rely more heavily on Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn and Stephen Carr, assuming he's back healthy. And really, whoever, you know, Josh Follow, Daniel Matterbebe, whoever can make plays for you. You're going to look at, Bayless Jones, you know, look to get the ball in their hands, and then they create, as opposed to Darnold creates, and and you know, really kind of starts and finishes the play to some extent. That's what it felt like a lot of the time. I think this team's going to be built differently on offense with a new quarterback. And Michael Pittman is a guy that, after the catch, can be great. And and can open things up for other people. So good pick on that. We were we were kind of debating on that one, and uh, I agree. Yeah, although you could probably go with a couple people. Pittman is a great choice. I think he needs to to I guess pick up where he left off, and I, and I thought he did in week one. But I think that's what has to happen here. Um. Last spring, I remember there was so much competition 
for the starting jobs around Deontay Burnett. And it almost felt like sometimes the competition isn't, it's not always the way you want it, you want it to be. It doesn't always produce the results that you want because I felt like the reps were at a premium last year, last spring. And, you know, if Pittman had a bad day or Vaughn's had a bad day, then it kind of carried over too long. And I thought both of them were really uneven in spring practice a year ago. And You just matches Jalen Green one and it upset you. It didn't upset me. It just wasn't the right decision. I <laughs> clearly. Yeah, whatever. He was just better in spring. <laughs> and Tyler Vaughn's figured out how to play football in October. <laughs> Michael Pittman figured out how to play football in December. Yeah. Pay attention. Right. They figured it out so well that Jalen Green quit the team. But that's another here nor there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't let me distract you. Yeah. We're, we're done. Okay. Running back. Tailback. You tell him. You tell yeah. him. I want you to what tell him. What did I say, Vavai Malapai? I just can't say his name. so I. That's what he was? Okay. He told me it rhymed. So... Whatever you do, okay. just make sure that the ending is the same with both names. I'm really bad with rhyming, though. I, I'm I not surprised. I first grade because of it. I couldn't stand the lines either when I was coloring. Yeah, we bet. So, yeah. Okay. So Vavai is the guy where he's got to be healthy, and he, he didn't do a lot in week one. He was basically uh, rehabbing, but Helton expected that he'd be back. So, as we record this, Sunday evening, two days before their fourth spring practice, I don't know that he'll be back in, in, a, in a couple days. But I'm assuming he is. And I'm assuming that he can still have a big spring. Because they need that. They, they're they're light there. I, I know everyone thinks the world of Stephen Carr but he had a herniated disc. He's out for spring. He's, you know, he's got some some work to do for a couple months before uh, he'll be in position to to perform the way that we know he's capable of. And well, I, I don't want to say the beginning of the season is in doubt because I haven't been told that at all. It, it's it's running back. That's. Maybe the most volatile position on the team in terms of injury. So Vivai, who also is dealing with injury, uh, but not as severe, needs to be really good right now. Vivai looked good last year. He didn't have a huge role, but you know he. I, th- I felt like he was um, being given a little bit, a little bit more was being put in his plate as the year went on. But he might have a lot on his plate this season, even as the number two guy. I I think that he plays a very important role in this team. And because he's so well-rounded and so gifted uh, as a, a pass catcher, and because he's, I think, adept at running between the tackles, I, I just know Helton loves him. Um, he kind of reminds me of Stanley Havili. I think he could 
fill that role. They don't use the fullback anymore, but Havili wasn't really a true fullback anyway. So I think Bavai can be like that. That's a very valuable player. And depending on how things shake out with the feature back, Bavai can potentially be that guy too. So I think this spring's really important for, for all those reasons. What do you think about Bavai? Yeah, I, I'm interested to see uh, what he becomes for USC. I, I've kind of, I've kind of just talked myself into. Uh, it seems like they have last year anyway. They had one or two special backs, and I wasn't sure about the other backs. I want to see if he can. I don't think he'll be a special back, but I want to see if he could be something close to that. Something that maybe tricks people into thinking he's a special back, or you know, I want to see him take some kind of role on the team and, you know, maybe that big back role or whatever. Um, well, it's a, I just want to see if he can do that's it. That's a good point. Actually, I want to start to interject here, but... You're fine. There, Please do. There are running backs uh, from USC that we've seen in the past, even the recent past, where they didn't have to be special. They didn't have to be an, an NFL back, but played a very important role, were very valuable for the team. Think of Curtis McNeil. Think of uh, Alan Bradford, guys like that. Okay, they weren't special, but they they had an important function in the offense, and they weren't always a starter even. So you're right. I I could see where we we might have forgotten a bit or looked past someone like Vivai or Akasendrick Ware, because they weren't Ronald Jones, because they weren't Stephen Carr. But this might be more of a committee thing this season. In fact, I'm I'm going to guess it is. I, I do not think we're going to see anyone have as many carries as Ronald Jones had a year ago. I, in fact, they might not even get that close. Prediction time. Yeah. Remember it. All right. Did you have anything else to add about Vi, or are you done? No, no, I'm done. You you interjected and finished, and I loved it. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that there. That seemed a little dirty yeah. for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why, but it did. Uh huh. My bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, your mother's listening, not mine. Yeah, I know. Great, awesome. Okay. Hi, mom. Quarterback. Is Benjamin Button on campus yet, or can we not pick him? <laughs> Okay, um, we, surprise, surprise, we picked Jack Sears. Okay. Okay, we'll talk about both briefly. Uh, Jack was working with a second team on day one, and he looked all right. And then on, on day two, he was with the first team, and he looked really good. He looked the way that you want him to look if he's going to be your starting quarterback this fall. Day three, he was not present because he attended the wedding for Andrew Voorhees. Yeah. Whoa. And I don't really have a take on any of that. Uh, I think... Wait, Andrew Voorhees got married? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, welcome to March. Adam's like, don't do it! (laughs) Adam's like, Andrew! I could have warned you. Okay. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry, Mrs. Maya. 
if you're listening. Yeah. Anyway. Adam loves you. <laughs> so I, I only mention it because, really, I just wish I would have been able to see him uh, in that practice because they went long. They had an extended period of 11-on-11, of 11 11, and it just would have been nice to see him. I think these days are valuable, but uh, yeah, there will be opportunities, of course, moving forward. Um, so I, I, I can't say much about where he's at right now because that would have been a day. That, that's all. That, that's really as far as I'm going with that. I, I saw a lot of Fink, and he had a really hard time. He had a few turnovers and was just missing guys and just really, I mean, that, that's the way he's looked for two years now. So, um, I, I think you, a lot of you know where we stand on this, so I don't want to be too critical. I don't think it's necessary, but um, he'll, he'll need to be better if he's going to seriously compete for the starting job, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, with Jack Sears, I, I, don't, I don't know what he needs because we just got to see more of him, but he looked good in day two. And, uh, and I think uh, this spring's really important for that position. So we, you didn't really have to pick Jack Sears so much. It's really the quarterback. It's him or Fink. Uh, but because I'm thinking that Sears will ultimately prevail... You know, I'm picking Sears right now as the guy to highlight. Um, he needs to be great this spring. And and whoever your starting quarterback is, if it's, it's going to be one of these two guys, because uh, as you alluded to earlier, uh, J.T. Daniels is not there, well, we can't do anything about that. So Jack Sears, Matt Fink, they need to be good right now, not good in August. I mean, they need to be good in August as well, but if they're not good now, I don't know that they're going to be good in August. I think the only thing that could possibly keep JT Daniels away from the starting quarterback job at USC is his arthritis. <laughs> okay. All right. I think that's our show. I think so, too. I was glad I was able to sneak in two age jokes, though, at the very end. <laughs> it just doesn't feel complete without them. Don't worry. They'll be in every show. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay. All right. Anything else for our listeners, Adam? No. Okay, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And again, don't forget our promotion over at Trojansports.com. It's a spring clearance. Buy one month, get three months free. That's four months total for $9.99. Get over to USC.Rivals.com slash sign underscore up. Again, that's USC.Rivals.com slash sign underscore up. But for Adam Maya, I am Chris Swanson. As always, thank you for listening. Please sign up if you haven't. And uh, we love you. That's pretty much it. We just love you. So take care. We'll see you next time. We love you. We do. We love you. We love you. As much as JT Daniels loves jazz from the 1940s.